Welcome to Roleplaying History, the podcast where we explore the history of roleplaying games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 89, HOL and Black Dog Game Factory. So I promised at the end of last week's episode that we'd cover HOL in a deep dive. As you heard, we're also going to cover Black Dog Game Factory because it's got a rather interesting history, and I didn't think we could cover the game without covering the company responsible for it. And yes, I realize that if I keep covering two topics per show, I risk running out of material faster than I probably should, but don't sweat that. If and when we run out of topics to cover, we've got a plan for this show, so role-playing history isn't going anywhere. It might change a bit, but so long as you listen, we'll keep making the show. But you know what? Let's not talk about the future and what-ifs. Let's get the tour bus crank up and dig into the first topic on today's show. And we're going in reverse order, just so you know. Right off the top, longtime fans of White Wolf Publishing might be familiar with Black Dog Game Factory, as it was an imprint of White Wolf. It was specifically set up to publish game materials that were considered to be more adult in nature. I'll expand on that in a minute. The history of Black Dog begins with the publishing of Vampire the Masquerade in 1991. Vampire was already a role-playing game that pushed the boundaries of what was and wasn't appropriate in the tabletop role-playing game field. Three years later, a much smaller company, Dirt Merchant Games, published HOL, which we'll get to in deeper detail in a little bit. White Wolf took an interest in it and wanted to publish it themselves, but they were concerned that HOL would damage their reputation, as White Wolf considered themselves a publisher for a younger audience, which meant they needed their material to be appropriate for younger audiences. That's where Black Dog Game Factory comes into play. White Wolf created the imprint, and the name comes from a company first mentioned in Werewolf the Apocalypse in 1991. While the company was initially set up specifically for HOL, White Wolf decided to take advantage of having an imprint devoted to mature literature and released more titles. In 1995, White Wolf directed adult-themed supplements for Vampire, Werewolf, Mage, and Wraith to the Black Dog label. Again, Black Dog gave White Wolf an outlet for supplements they wanted to release but were afraid to because of the sex, drug, and other adult subject matter they contained. After the initial flurry of releases, Black Dog's release schedule was about two books per year, and they weren't afraid to court a bit of controversy with the product. 1997's release, Charnel Houses of Europe, the Shoah, adapted the Holocaust and dropped it into the Wraith setting. Needless to say, that title picked up controversy and some negative press when it was released, but still turned out to be a good seller for the publisher. Another release, Giovanni Chronicles, traced a family from the 1400s to the modern day and was released in four volumes between 1995 and 1999. Shannon Applecline noted in his 2014 book, Designers and Dragons, that those titles specifically brought an innovation to the game market that hadn't been there previously. In addition to that, both titles brought a level of acclaim to Black Dog and, by extension, White Wolf. They also brought a lot of attention, but as I pointed out, some of it was bad. Then again, if the product sells well, couldn't we say that all press is good press? However, White Wolf was constantly torn between the concepts of pushing the envelope and risking damage to the reputation, as it was obvious from the beginning of Black Dog that it was owned by White Wolf. That conflict is what led to the eventual end of the imprint. Applecline gave his thoughts on that in his book. Quote, Despite that critical acclaim, 
Black Dog's smaller audience and the chance that it could still damage the reputation of White Wolf with its more intense and grittier subject matter eventually spelled the end for the imprint. Black Dog was another attempt to break new ground in the late 90s that ultimately went nowhere, end quote. The final release from Black Dog was Hunter Book Wayward, released on January 28, 2002. It should be noted that not all of the releases under the Black Dog imprint had sexual themes. Some of them had strong violence or evil, like the aforementioned Wayward. Others, like Knight Heresy, published for Vampire of the Dark Ages in February of 1999, had strong religious themes that crossed the line into mature territory. And as I mentioned earlier, Charnel House of Europe embraced the controversial subject of the Holocaust. As a final note, every release from Black Dog, other than HOL, was tied into a product from the World of Darkness. So the legacy of Black Dog was providing mature content for the World of Darkness line, and while all of the titles in that particular line have been out of print for 20 years or more, you can find them for sale in PDF form. You might have to dig a bit, but they are legally available. So thanks to the background on Black Dog Game Factory, we've already got a pretty good idea of what we're dealing with with HOL, so let's dig into the game. HOL was derived from a conversation Daniel Thrawn had with college classmate of his named Dwayne Waters. Per their own recollections, the conversation took place during drives to school during the winter of 1990-1991. Both men were longtime and near-religious players of tabletop role-playing games. Thrawn was reading a copy of the Lobo comic, and Waters commented on how cool it would be to base an RPG on the comic. Waters also gets credit for the name, as he said it could be called Human Occupied Landfill. Thrawn ran with the idea, pulling Todd Shaughnessy in to help write and Chris Elliott to not only write, but to provide artwork. Thrawn also contributed artwork, as he was a graphic artist. Shaughnessy and Elliott were tasked with refining the system behind the game, and they playtested the game in the spring of 1992 at Cape Cod Community College with their Dragons Club. They also tested at the Cape Cod Gaming Convention, the University of Rochester, and the U.S. Military Academy. Yeah, that military academy. West frickin' point. HOL was designed to be a satire of role-playing games. In fact, the authors took great pains to heavily poke fun not only at gamers themselves, but also the popular games of the time, with Vampire and D&D at the top of the list and taking the most jabs. As I mentioned earlier, HOL was originally published by Dirt Merchant Games and immediately got major props for being the satirical indie publication it was. Shannon Applecline noted in his book that the game was, quote, funny and profane, even offensive, and it went against the tropes of many RPGs. Though it was never probably played that extensively, HOL did prefigure the wacky directions that indie RPGs would take in the 2000s, end quote. We also addressed earlier that White Wolf almost immediately picked up HOL and created Black Dog Game Factory to release it so as to try to distance themselves from the inappropriate nature of the game. The release was a 140-page softcover book with Todd Shaughnessy, Daniel Thrawn, and Chris Elliott as the creators and Simon Kono getting credit for the cover art. Also in 1995, HOL got its one and only supplement, Buttery Wholesomeness. Despite the title, Buttery Wholesomeness was as irreverent and adult as the game it was written for. And shortly before the end of Black Dog, HOL got a second edition, released on September 1st, 2002. Okay, so we've covered the history of the game. Let's take a look at the setting of this game to see why folks feel it's so mature and irreverent, shall we? 
As I mentioned during the brief rundown of HOL during our 50 Greatest Games episode, it's a science fiction game set in the very distant future. The background is that mankind has colonized the entire galaxy, which was a fairly new concept at the time. PCs in HOL have either been trapped or imprisoned on the planet HOL, which is short for human-occupied landfill, and the planet is located outside the galaxy as far away as possible from everyone else. Not to offend our Australian friends, but that was the basic concept when the British Empire sent prisoners to Australia back in the day. Get them as far away as possible from everybody else. Now, these humans are thought to be the absolute scum of the universe, which I certainly do not think of our Australian friends, but the opinion in-game comes from the COW, short for the Confederation of Worlds. COW is the ruling government body of the human territories, and you can already see some of the satire coming out in the names. Over the centuries, humankind has colonized space using what's called the quasi-dimensional star drive. The description of this is an absolute trip. The drive is powered by energy produced through the mating rituals of jump slugs, which are giant slugs that feed on human corpses and are tended by humans that are social rejects dressed in full body containment suits. The satire and jabs keep coming as the enemy of cow are aliens called Snee or Sedug Nirg Eltil Eshot. It's a mouthful, but read it backwards. I'll wait. Yeah, okay, I can't wait that long. It's those little green dudes when you read it backwards, and they're perpetually plotting to take over the universe. What are we going to do tonight, Brain? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. Sorry, couldn't help a pinky in the brain reference here. Seemed appropriate. HOL has another function for cow, and that is as a garbage dump. Literally. That means the entire planet is covered in mountains of rotating debris, and that includes everything from candy wrappers and the hulls of old starships, all the way to toxic nuclear waste and medical waste, including used syringes. I get it was meant to be satire, but uh, these days it's a little close, don't you think? HOL has some native inhabitants, as the wasteland works well for the breeding of cute little creatures known as wastems. They can be captured and kept as pets, used for target practice, or eaten like tasty pudding cups. However, some of them have what could be termed as an evil gleam in their eyes, and those are actually called wastit, which are carnivores and man-eating creatures. However, they look the same as the wastems, so be careful. Now, there are creatures native to the planet that aren't cute and fuzzy. Flesh tenders, which are subterranean horrors, have been described by the few survivors of attacks as two evil eyes and very big teeth. HOL also has its gangs and criminal psychopaths, so it is, like I said during the countdown, a kill or be killed game. Needless to say, the setting of HOL is basically designed to make the characters paranoid since they can be attacked by pretty much everything at pretty much any time. I mean, you've got mutant flesh tenders, psychopaths with axes and other weapons, fuzzy little creatures that are actually man-eating. So, yeah, paranoid. The topper to all of this is that the citizens of Cow see all of this as entertainment. See, they watch holographic channels dedicating to the viewing of all of this via explosive robotic cameras known as crickets. In other words, the designers of this game somehow saw the overabundance of reality television. Go figure. One more point here. It was never specifically noted in any HOL product, but it is a theory from the fans of the game that HOL is actually the Earth, or at least what it once was. Now, I haven't had enough of this game yet, so let's dig into the mechanics of it, and be prepared to stick your tongue firmly into your cheek for this. 
HOL is a D6 system, specifically a 2D6 system, and the GM is known as the Hole Meister. Say that last one again. Yup. <laughs> Here we go. The core rulebook for HOL doesn't actually get into building characters. It offers up a number of pre-generated characters for use. The characters are a young boy with an oversized plasma gun whose survival cannot be explained, a pedophile priest, a gamer geek, Elvis Presley, and obvious parodies of the Silver Surfer and Incredible Hulk. Character creation became a thing with the release of Buttery Wholesomeness. Players pick a totem, and the totem lists out the basic character personality. And to show where the heads of the creators were, one of them was the Bush Baby, which would be a fast, nimble character. There was also the Sloth, which was smart but slow and lazy. And before I continue, I do apologize for the terms I just used. I took them directly from the text itself and used them as examples of why this game was as mature and controversial as it was. Moving on. Needless to say, the creation process continues to be, well, disturbing, if I'm honest. The rest of the system is full of charts that tell you to roll on other charts, which parodies a whole lot of games of the time, but will also give you a frickin' migraine. And like it was in Traveler, your character can die during creation. So let's continue with the ridiculousness that was HOL character building. There are five stats in the game. Gray matter, which is intellectual capacity. Meat, which is physical strength. Feats. Come on, you know what this is. No, it's dexterity. Mouth, charisma. Nuts, which is spiritual resolve. Some of us would call it testicular fortitude. Stats tend to be rated from negative 2 to plus 10, but the rules do note that higher and lower ratings are possible in creation. Each stat has a number of skills that are associated with them, and they include operate starship and chew gum at the same time, repair toasters and stuff, turn radios into howitzers, organize fundraiser, make someone stop living with your fist, make sharp things go through soft things that scream and bleed, scathing, ooh, big word, sarcasm, whining until you get what you want, make everything you say sound more important than the voice of God, that psycho Bruce Lee shit, withstand, enjoy, hellish agony, spot, wast it. There are what the creators would call explanations and or definitions for each of these, but I think they tend to speak for themselves. So with the character created, let's get into how we deal with stuff in the game. Task resolution involves rolling 2d6 and add the stat rating, related skill value, and whatever difficulty modifier the whole Meister tans out. Those modifiers can range from between plus four, which they call easier than a cheap streetwalker, <laughs> and minus four, which they call bogusly difficult. Again, higher and lower modifiers are always possible. A total of 15 or higher is a success, while 14 or lower is a failure. And of course, there's a chart that provides more detail. It's called the general chart. Speaking of rolls, snake eyes are always a bad thing. Forget the bonuses. These allow the whole meister to let loose whatever horrors they want to release. And the book specifically urges them to let out pent-up anger and frustrations on the group in these moments. But if they're not feeling that, there's a chart they can roll on, which includes things like snapping a groin muscle. Boxcars, that's a pair of sixes, by the way, are always a good thing. They allow the player to re-roll the dice and add the results to the 12 they got in the first roll. They also add a point to the Grace of God pool, which we'll cover in a moment. Multiple re-rolls are possible, and it's also possible to get snake eyes on a re-roll, so you'd get both sides of the deal. 
Let's look now at combat. Needless to say, in a kill or be killed game, there's going to be a hell of a lot of combat. Initiative is rolled first, but unlike most games, this is an opposed roll of d6 plus feats. There's two types of attacks, melee and ranged. There's also two types of defense, dodge and parry. For the attack, the attacker rolls 2d6 plus the stat plus the skill, and they check the combat chart, which works the same way as the general chart. The total attack is modified by the defender's feats plus 2d6 plus whatever modifiers the whole Meister puts in, like for cover. Ranged attacks are modified by range, and they go from plus 4 for being really close to minus 4 or worse for being really far away. I was going to do the Grover thing, but this show's ridiculous enough already. Moving on. Of course, where we have attacks, we have to have damage. Now, we have to note that weapons in HOL can literally be anything the characters can get their hands on. I mean, some of the descriptions I saw online were enemy be gone, kitty kitty bang bangs, rolled newspapers, and broken bottles. And that's just the stuff I chose to put here. It gets worse. Trust me on that. Every weapon has an anguish value and a damage number. Anguish values range from 1, which is termed a staple in the finger, to 20, which is called unprotected re-entry into the atmosphere. The higher the number, the more the character hits gets hurt. Oh, and it's strictly for the enjoyment of role-playing. For the record, damage numbers have no upper limit. All characters in HOL have 20 wound levels. They start at 0 and increase based on the amount of damage taken. Here's how we compute the amount of damage taken. Add the meat stat to the armor value and subtract it from the anguish value. Then find that number on the damage multiplier chart, roll a d6, and determine the intensity of the multiplier of the weapon's damage number. The damage number is then multiplied that many times and added to the character's current wound level. So, let's take a look at the wound list and the associated penalties. 5 or more, minus 1 to all rolls. Hurtin'. 10 or more, minus 2. Smoking the pain pipe. 14. Minus three, need a doctor. 15, minus four, feasting with agony. 16, minus five, feeling imminent doom. 17 or more, unconscious. 20 or more, the big dirt nap. There's one more thing I wanted to cover under the mechanics, and that's the rewards characters can get. First off, the rules specifically state that survival is all the reward that characters need. However, if you've got a benevolent holemeister, they can reward prick udos. Yes, P-R-I-C-K, capitalized, U-D-O-S. Let's just move on. Those allow a player to raise a skill point by one or add another first level skill. There's also big prickudos, which raises stat by one. And I said I'd get into the grace of God pool, so let's cover it. Each character gets a random number of points in their pool at creation, though they don't know how many they've got. The Holmeister rolls them up, but doesn't tell the player. When the character finds themselves in what's called the most dire of peril, the player can call out, praise Jesus, and spend a point. This allows them to be saved from the predicament, and usually in the most absurd ways possible. Think of a bee stopping a nuclear bomb from hitting the character and detonating. Now, since the player has no idea how many points they have, this will eventually cause another issue. If they have no points left, they get what's called a Wrath of God point. They can still be saved, but they'll eventually get the Wrath of God dropped on them. It can be used immediately after the character is saved, so the character can be saved from the bomb only to be stung by the bee and an entire colony of its friends. Or some other ridiculous shit, since the whole Meister is encouraged to be a frickin' 
prick about this. Oh, and in all things, the Holmeister is encouraged to cheat whenever they want. Period. Time for reviews. Derek Piercy reviewed HOL for the November 1994 issue of Pyramid. He recommended it and said, quote, Enter whole. You won't be sorry. End quote. Even the friggin' reviewers are getting into this. Lester Smith did a review for the May 1995 issue of Dragon. He said it's, quote, a shockingly, breathtakingly hilarious read, end quote. He liked it, adding, quote, the designers poke merciless fun at gamers, the hobby in general, related hobbies, other games, corporate America, and even themselves, end quote. He also said, quote, I hardly think the game's the point, end quote, referencing the irreverent humor within the book itself. He also said that while it was a funny read, you could play it as a game, quote, if you're lunatic enough, end quote. I mentioned it came in at 39 in the Arcane 50 Most Popular Role-Playing Game poll. Paul Pettengale said the following, quote, People often buy game books purely to read, but with HOL, that's pretty much the point, although there is supposed to be a rule system in there, end quote. <sighs> I think this is a pretty good point to bring today's tour to a close. Next week, we're trying to get serious again. We'll cover the game Feng Shui and its creator, Robin Laws. In the meanwhile, please check out our other podcast, Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. This week, we resolve the cliffhanger part of the build from last week and continue the group's vengeance ride. Bad GM's Campaign Build Along is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for the license-free, royalty-free music you'll need for your next project. Role-Playing History is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. On Twitter, it's Bad GMP. YouTube and Tumblr, Bad GM Productions. Email badgmproductions at gmail.com. And online, it's badgmproductions.net. Next week, it's Feng Shui and Robin Laws. But like I said, that's next week. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis and your Role-Playing History.